Go open your Bibles up to First Thessalonians, and I'm going to be reading um, First Thessalonians, starting at verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall arise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You be seated. And you wondered, was I left behind and Jesus came? Someday, though, that will happen to many, many people. Over the years, Christians have had different viewpoints about the rapture and the timing of the events. This morning, I want to talk about the rapture and the timing of the event, the reason of the timing, the purpose of the rapture, and how we should prepare What is the definition of the rapture when you think about the rapture? The rapture, if you believe it or not, is not even mentioned in the Bible at all. Because of that, people have wondered if it's even biblical. It's not mentioned at all in the Bible. But there are other words that Christians view very strongly about when we think about the Bible. And one of those words is the Trinity. The Trinity is another word that is never mentioned in the Bible, and yet we believe it very strongly. When we think about the word rapture, we often go to 1 Thessalonians 4, where John just got done reading, and also 1 Corinthians 15, where it talks about the rapture and the event. So I said that the word rapture isn't even mentioned in the Bible. So where do we get the word rapture in 1 Thessalonians? We see that in verse 17, where it says, they use the word caught up. Caught up. The Greek word for that word here is harpasso. And if we know and understand the meaning of that word, it means to seize, to carry off by force. And this word is used 14 times in the New, Test in the New Testament. And I want to read some of the verses that it's in so that we can understand the word rapture. There's, there's different verses I'm going to read here. And it used the word harpasso, the Greek word for rapture. 
Matthew 11, 12, it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. There's that word, by force. Matthew 13, 19, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away, the word apostle, catcheth away, that which was sown in his heart, this is he which received seed by the wayside. John 6, 15. When John therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force, there is a word harpasso, by force, to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. John 10, 28 and 29. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them. The word apostle. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And the last verses here is 2 Corinthians 12, 2 and 4. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth such an one caught up to the third heaven. And how that he was caught up, there's the word harpazo, into paradise, and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. With these verses that I just got, got done reading, we can understand a little bit about what the word rapture means. Another picture that we can get of the word rapture is some of you carpenters or roofers can understand this when you use magnet. So after a job, um, you like to pick up the nails and stuff that were left on the floor, clean up. So you run this magnet cart over the ground and the metal is picked up. It's taken by force. But not everything is picked up. There's some things left behind, like the dirt and the pebbles. But the magnet, the metal pieces, are picked up by that magnet cart that you push around to pick up the nails. That's another good picture of our apostle of the rapture. So people often wonder, what is the timing of the event of the rapture? And there's a lot of different views of the timing. But I want to look in Scripture. Um, what I believe the Bible says is when it would happen. I believe that the next event that's going to happen on the prophetic timeline is the rapture. There's nothing else that needs to happen before then. But turn with me to Revelation 4. And I want to read um, verse 1. And we'll look at the timing of the rapture. Revelation 4, verse 1. After this I look, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet, talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show these things which must be hereafter. So in Revelation 1 to 3, or especially in verse chapter 2 and 3, the church is mentioned many, many times. It talks about the church. And in Revelation 4 to 19, not one word 
about the church is mentioned, not one. But in Revelation 1.19, we see the outline of the book. If you remember, I uh, said that a couple of sermons ago about the outline of Revelation. And I want to quick read that verse. And it says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And if, re if you remember, I said that the things that John saw was the vision of Jesus Christ found in chapter 1. And the things which are were seven churches that um, John wrote about in chapter 2 and 3. And the things which shall be hereafter are from chapter 4 to 19. And we see the word hereafter in chapter 4, verse 1. And that's what John was writing about, the things which shall be hereafter. So John starts in chapter 4 with after this. What is John referring to when he says after this? And we have to look about, and when we read a verse, when we read scripture, we need to take, so sometimes it's so easy to run over the verse and forget about the small little details in verses. But this, after this, is a key part of the verse. After what? So we go back to chapter 2 and 3. We see John was talking about the churches. And all these churches were specific churches in Paul's day. And when, or I'm sorry, when, in John's day when, when he wrote this book. But they also are a representation of the church age since the start of the church in the book of Acts until the rapture. For example, the beginning of the church age there in the book of Acts, they were losing their first love to God. And we see that was the church of Ephesus. But at the time of the rapture, the church in general will be lukewarm, as we see in chapter 3, the church of Laodicea. And we see that across America. Many churches are lukewarm. So we see in chapter 4, verse 1, John was translated up into heaven. And that's the same as believers. We will be translated up into heaven. We will be raptured. He, John was invited to, to come up. If we go on into chapter 4 and we see um, what's around the throne of God there, we see that there are 24 elders around the throne. So who are these 24 elders? Number one, they're not angels because they are mentioned separately from angels in chapter 5. I believe the 24 elders are the ones that have been raptured in Thessalonians 4. It will be the church. And we can see by um, the description of them, what are they wearing? We see in verse 4 that they are wearing white raiment. Revelation 3, 5, it says that he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. The ones that are over, overcoming are the believers in Christ. What else are they wearing? They are wearing crowns. Crowns of gold on their heads. Paul in his letters often talks about wearing a crown when he reaches heaven. And I'm just going to read some of those verses. First Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, 
you shall receive a crown of glory that fainteth not away. James 1, 2, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord had promised to them that loved him. In 2 Timothy 4, 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. This crown in the Greek is called a Stephanus crown, and this crown is the victor's crown, and it goes to one who's been faithful to God in the race of life. These 24 elders we see are also sitting on thrones. When we go to heaven, we will be made kings and priests, and then we will reign with Christ, and we see that in chapter 1. Another reason why I believe that Revelation 4 is the dividing line between the church age and the end times is God's attitude toward humanity. You can see that there's a um, change in God's attitude towards humanity in general. And notice I said in general, from that of mercy to that of judgment. And like I said, we see that divide is in Revelation 4. And I said the word in general, we do see sometimes in Revelation where God does extend mercy, but mainly it is time of judgment. We see that it's a time of judgment from chapter 6 on to 19. There are some evidences in Scripture where God removed his people before he poured out his wrath. First one we see is in the time of Noah and the flood. You know, God wanted to destroy the earth because of the wickedness of men. He wanted to pour out his wrath on people. But God spared the life of Noah and his family by providing a boat for them. He provided a way of an escape from the wrath of God. Another example is the time of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And that was another case where God wanted to pour out his wrath on these two cities because of their wickedness. But he spared the life of Lot and his daughters. God brought them away from Sodom and Gomorrah. He brought them out of the city. He removed them from the place of his wrath. I just want to look now at some of the differences between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. There is a difference between the two if we look in Scripture. When we talk about Jesus' first coming, we often refer to his whole entire life here on, his, here on earth, uh, 33 years, his birth, his life, his ministry, um, his interaction with people, and also his death and resurrection. But Jesus' second coming is kind of the same way. It's not just one specific time. It's a span of time. Um, it's approximately seven years. It includes the rapture, the tribulation, and the second coming or the return of Christ here to this earth. I have here 11 differences between the rapture and Jesus' second coming. At the rapture, Jesus will come in the air to the clouds. He doesn't come to the earth. At the time of his second coming, Jesus comes to the earth and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. 
and its exact same place where he ascended. Second one, at the rapture, Jesus comes for his saints to gather them together. Both they that have died in Christ and those who are alive in Christ. He comes, with, he comes to gather his saints. At Jesus' second coming, he comes with his saints and the angels. At the rapture, the believers depart the earth with Christ. We go up to heaven before the tribulation happens and before Jesus comes back down to the earth for the thousand-year reign of Christ. At the second coming, unbelievers are taken away or destroyed. And the word taken away I got from Matthew 24, 37 to 39. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Whereas in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The fourth difference that I have between the rapture and the second coming is at the rapture, Christ gathers his own. Jesus himself, Jesus himself shall descend from heaven and gather all those who are in Christ to be with him, whether asleep or alive. Jesus himself gathers his own. But at the second coming, the angels gather the elect. And we see that in Matthew 24. Another difference is at the rapture, Jesus comes to reward his saints. And we can see that in chapter 4 of Revelation, where, where the saints have, have their crowns. We talked about that. And the crowns that were given to them. But at Jesus' second coming, Jesus comes to separate the sheep from the goat. He comes to ju judge those left on the earth. Another difference that we have between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. The rapture is never mentioned in the Old Testament. Because in 1 Corinthians 15-51, it is considered as a mystery. Which is being revealed to the Christians in Paul's day. And I think that's, a, that's the key. It's a mystery. They didn't know that before. We do know that Jesus did mention about the rapture though in John 14. And they also did believe in the resurrection, that it would happen at some time. But they didn't understand the rapture. The second coming, though, was predicted many times in the Old Testament, many times. Another difference between the two is there are no signs that need to happen before the rapture. It is imminent. And the word Intimate means hanging over one's head, ready to befall or overtake one. It is close at hand. And we look at First Thessalonians, even Paul expected, expected the Lord's return in his lifetime. And we see that he uses the word we when he says that we will be caught up together with those that are dead in Christ. Paul expected it in his lifetime. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later or so, and it still hasn't happened. So yeah, this rapture, there is no signs that need to happen. In the second coming of Jesus Christ, there are many signs that need to happen before he comes again. And we can see that in Matthew 24, 4 to 51. 
Another difference is at the time of the rapture, it is a time of blessing and comfort. And we see that in verse, 1 Thessalonians and 4 and 5, it talks about comfort each other with um, this event. The Christians in 1 Thessalonians, says, Christians were worried that those who had already died in Christ wouldn't, wouldn't experience the rapture with those who are alive. But Paul told them that those who are dead will experience the same as those who are alive, and that they will be all and that they will all be forever with Jesus. And because of this truth, they were then comforted. And also in 1 Thessalonians, it talks about the wrath of God, that God has not appointed them to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that was supposed to be a comfort for them. It talks about that in chapter 5. So the rapture is a time of blessing and comfort. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, it is a time of destruction and judgment. Another difference is, at the time of the rapture, it only involves believers. It is only for those that believe that Jesus died and rose again. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, this talks about that you that have believed that Jesus died and rose again. Those are the ones that will be taken. Those are the ones that will be raptured. At the time of Jesus' second coming, it involves Israel and Gentile nations, believers and unbelievers in the tribulation. Another difference is at the time of the rapture, it will only occur in a moment, the time it takes to blink. It will occur suddenly. And only his own will see him. At Jesus' second coming, the entire world will see him. And the last difference I have here is at the time of the rapture, the tribulation will begin. We see that in Revelation 4, that after Jesus came down and took us home, the entire book of Revelation after chapter 4 Enfolds. At the time of Jesus' second coming, the millennium will begin. The literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. And both will happen here on the earth. Why must the rapture happen? I have different reasons here. First one is to receive the saints for himself, as Jesus promised. John 14, 1-3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus has prepared mansions for us to live in heaven. And Jesus says that he will come again and receive us unto himself. That where he is, there we may be also. If he's coming down to, to this earth to gather his saints, he is coming down to this earth to gather his saints so that we can live with him in heaven before he comes to reign here on the earth. Ephesians 5, 27, it says that he might present to himself 
a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Jesus coming to gather us, just as he's promised, that he might present the church to himself, one who is clean and without blemish, a glorious church, one who is cleansed by the washing of water by the word. Second reason why I had that the rapture must happen is to resurrect the dead in Christ from among the wicked wed, from among the wicked dead. What does it mean by being resurrected? It means that the bodies who have died in Christ and have turned to dust are resurrected, become alive. They come and unite with their souls that have forever been with Jesus after their death. And if we think about everyone, whether a believer or unbeliever, will be resurrected at some point in time. Their bodies are now dead, but their souls will be reunited, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting punishment. But at the time of the rapture, only the dead in Christ will rise. And like I said, their body, not their soul, which is sleeping, ready to be awakened at the resurrection. Their soul will be united with their body. In Revelation 24 to 6, it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. The first resurrection is the ones that Jesus snatches away, takes away by force. The third reason why I had that the rapture must happen is to take the saints up to heaven to live in the new Jerusalem and to receive their rewards. 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. This happens when we are up in heaven between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. The next reason why I have the, the rapture needs to happen is so that the bodies can be changed from to immortality. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. To change our bodies from a dying body to a living, everlasting body. The next reason I have is to present the saints before God. Jude 24, 25 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever, to present us before God. Another reason why we need to be raptured is to make the saints whole in body, soul, and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Philippians 3.21 it says, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Our vile bodies that was turned into dust when we died is changed like to his glorious body. If you want to see how you will be uh, in heaven, just look at Jesus' body. Look at his 
life or after his resurrection. I believe that's how we will be changed into, we will change like into his glorious body. Next reason I have here that the rapture must happen is so that Jesus can receive the fruit of the early and latter rain. rain. James 5, 7, it says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. What is he referring to here? I believe it is used here as a picture of the fruit of harvest souls. The early rain is the start of the church and the latter rain is at the end of the tribulation. next reason I have here that we that the rapture needs to happen is and we talked a little bit about it it's to cause the saints to to escape the tribulation during the whole tribulation period God will pour out his wrath on the whole world and we see that in the very beginning there Revelation 6 how God is pouring out his wrath on the whole world when we became Christians, we are then saved from the wrath of God. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians 5. God has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are saved from the wrath of God. Romans 5, 8-9, it says, But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. In Romans 8, 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If we are walking out of the Spirit, there is therefore now no condemnation, none, none at all. There is no condemnation. There is no sentence for the believers. Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God when he died on the cross. He paid for our penalty. He took everything that, he need, that needs to be paid for on the cross. It's paid for. There's nothing left that needs to be paid. Nothing at all. And if we say that we need to go through the tribulation and experience that wrath, we are saying that Jesus' death was not enough. And that's, that is not right at all. In the letter to the Church of Philadelphia, Revelation 3.10, it says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour. He's going to keep us from the hour of temptation. And it says, Which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. This is talking about the tribulation that will happen in Revelation. And Jesus promises the Church of Philadelphia and also to us that he will keep them, he will keep us. He will keep us from the hour of temptation. He will protect us. He will preserve us. Not only does it say that he keeps us from temptation, but like I said, it keeps us from the hour of temptation. We are removed from the whole period of time, not just the trials of it. Luke 21, 36, it says, Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy of escape. Or were they to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man? What is accounted worthy to escape? What, what is the, these things that he's talking about? 
If you read Luke 21, it's talking about the tribulation, all the things that God's going to do throughout his wrath on the earth, that they may be counted worthy to escape. We will escape the wrath of God. So you may ask, what about the temptations in this life? We are going through many temptations. There is people this week that have gone through trials and temptations. I thought, and you may be saying that, but I'm saying that we are going to be escaping these trials and temptations. If you remember a couple sermons ago, I talked about that um, Jesus does not bring peace but a sword. And I talked about, yes, there's going to be very or many temptations for the Christians, for the believers. And there's going to be things happening in our lifetime where we will be tried and tested. But I think there is a difference between our lifetime, the temptations that we face, and the temptations and the, or the wrath of God, the tribulation. There's a difference between the two. In our lifetime, I think Satan is the one that's bringing those temptations in our lives. It's Satan that's bringing those temptations. But in the tribulation, God is the one that pours out his wrath. God is the one that brings trouble and trial. Although he is not the only one. The Antichrist and many people will also be involved with bringing trials and temptations on the earth. Another reason why we must be raptured is so that we can remove the hinderer of lawlessness. And I'm going to read the verse um, where that comes from in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, and 8. And it ties in with the next, with the next um, reason why we need to be raptured. And it says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, when the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now these verses may be a little difficult to understand, but it says the reason that we need to be raptured is to remove the hinderer of lawlessness. And who is this hinderer? I is it not the Holy Spirit who lives within us in the church? Are we part of the hinderer of lawlessness? And lawlessness is a word of iniquity, sin, no law. We are the ones that are hindering that, I believe, in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we are raptured, our Christian influence in this world is gone. Imagine the influence that we have. We have an effect on this world. But when we are raptured, the Christian influence will be gone. The people in this world will do whatever seems right in their own eyes, which is not the way of God. And the second reason why we need to be, or the next reason why we need to be raptured is to permit the revelation of the Antichrist. And we saw that in the verses that I read in 2 Thessalonians. The Antichrist, the wicked that it talks about in verse 8, is to be revealed. And like I said, it's the Antichrist. We as a church will not be able to know who the Antichrist is is until after the rapture has happened. And there's many people have tried to understand or know or figure out who the Antichrist 
is. But the Bible says we will not be able to know who that Antichrist is. It'll happen after the rapture. So I want to go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, where John read, and just explain a little bit exactly how the rapture will happen. So if you want to turn there, it'd be great. So it says that the Lord himself will descend. We won't have to go all the way up to heaven by ourselves. The angels won't be coming down to get us, but our Savior, Jesus, will come down to take us up to heaven. Himself, the Lord Himself, will come to get us. It says that He will come down from heaven with a shout, also with the voice of the archangel. And this voice will be like a command. It is the call of preparation for action. It will be a shout of command for the dead to arise, just like it was in the case of Lazarus coming out of his tomb. We see that there is the blast of the trumpet. And a trumpet in the Old Testament was a call for people to gather together. It will call both those that are dead and those that are alive together, and those that are in Christ and especially those who have believed that Jesus died and rose again. Those are the ones that will be called together. Those that have believed that Jesus died and rose again. And that is the key for those that want to be raptured. And we see that in the book of Acts so many times. It's Jesus emphasized, or Paul and the apostles, they emphasize the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is what will get us to heaven. It's only through that that will get us to be a part of this rapture. Where will, we, where will we meet? It says, we will meet together in the clouds to be with Jesus. All those who are dead and all those who are alive, all those people in your family that have died, your children, your spouses, your friends, your parents that have died in Christ will all be united together with Jesus, with the one who made it possible for us. What else does it say about us being with Jesus? And this blessed me so much. We see in the end of verse 17. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The word ever. We will be forever, forever with the Lord. There will never be a parting. There will never be a separation. During the seven year of tribulation, we will be with Jesus. During the time when Jesus comes back to the earth, we will be with Jesus. During the 1,000 year reign of Christ, we will be with Jesus. Even when Satan is left loose a little bit, we will be with Jesus. And after that, when Jesus makes, or when God makes a new heaven and a new earth, we will be with Jesus. Not only 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, but forever and ever. After a thousand years, we'll still be there with Jesus forever and ever. It'll be forever with Jesus. 
And that, to me, is a great blessing. In closing, I just want to read some verses, other verses where it talks about the rapture. 1 Corinthians 1.7, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are we waiting? Philippians 3.20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.5, the Lord is at hand. Philippians 2.13, it says, looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, 17 and 20. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Are you... Am I ready for his return? Will you, are you a part of the church that will be raptured? If Jesus would ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? What would you say? Would you tell him, well, it's because I'm a part of Weavertown Church. Or would you tell him, maybe it's because I did a bunch, many good things. I gave many gifts to people around me. Is that what you would say? Or will you tell him? It is only because of your sacrifice on the cross, your death and resurrection. That is why I can enter in. Is that what you will tell him? I hope that's where you place your trust in. Because that's the only way that you will enter into heaven. That you will be a part of the rapture. The only way. It is not through what we do. It is through your belief in Jesus Christ. I hope that you will be among those that are raptured. Don't be left behind. Don't be left behind. Let us kneel to pray. Finally, Father, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you are coming back again. To take us as a church, the saints, the ones that believe in you, trust in you to take us home to be with you forever and ever. I pray, God, that you would guide and direct us today, guide and direct our fellowship. I pray, God, that it would be a blessing. We could be a blessing and encouragement to one another. I pray, God, that you would guide and direct us the remainder of the day. Thank you, praise you. Amen.